Welcome to Coffee with Romina. This is your host, Romina Muhammadai, award-winning leader, negotiation and sales expert, and your new favorite podcaster. Each week, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary people of diverse industries, sharing practical advice and tips on how to overcome career and personal obstacles, define your own success, and take charge of your own destination. Thank you for spending time with us today. Now let the show begin. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome back to Coffee with Romina. To all my loyal listeners out there, thank you so much for trusting me with your time again. And if you are brand new to our podcast, welcome to our show. And as always, remember to hit that subscribe button to make sure you are never missing out any of our upcoming episodes. And as a matter of fact, if you are listening from Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a five-star review and a short comment. Tell us how amazing we are doing. I don't want to take too much time, you guys. I definitely want you to enjoy today's episode with Michelle Arbach. We are going to talk about saving lives through the power of storytelling. We actually break this episode into important factors about storytelling, personal growth through storytelling, as well as business growth through storytelling. Storytelling is powerful, you guys. One of the books that I absolutely recommend to everybody is Michelle's book, Resilience, The Life-Saving Skill of Story, because honestly, there's some really, really amazing lessons in there that we can take with us not only in our career, but even on our personal lives. Therefore, I don't want to lose any more time. I want you guys to enjoy this episode and make sure to also go ahead and subscribe to connectwithromina.com to always stay up to date of what's going on in our world as we are growing every day more and more. So connectwithromina.com, hit the subscribe button as well as hit the subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcast juice from and let the show begin. Hi, Michelle. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I want to thank you for being a part of the show. So, Michelle, I want to pass on the mic to you, dear. If you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, how did you go about being at the career that you currently have? Uh, a little story behind it. So I was the nerdy kid that was sitting under the piano reading a book during a party with braces and glasses and braids. And so from that, uh, the obvious career was that I was either going to be a folk singer or a Supreme Court justice, neither of which actually happened because I can't sing and I didn't want to go to law school. I I realized the best job that I could possibly ever have was to be a college professor, which is what I ended up doing for a decade. I was a college professor and I taught ancient world humanities, languages, literature, art. And I went on my sabbatical and one of my friends asked me if I would take all that stuff. She said, all that stuff, you know, about those folks and those stories and come do a project with her. She was a management consultant. And, and she said, I have a client who's having a really, really hard time right now. And they need to hear those ancient stories because I think it'll help. And I said, sure, of course I'm on sabbatical, but I've already written the book I need to write. So I'm good. And I, go and the client is amazing and the process is blows my mind and I work with them using all of these ancient wisdom tradition stories in order to help turn around a pretty dire situation for the client in which they were they were made aware they were doing some harm in the world and felt terrible about it and so they both had to change their internal way of thinking and then they actually had to go out and change what they did and make reparation and 
it was the most fun I think I'd ever had using the skills I had. So I quit my job <laughs> and I decided to just do that. Everybody in the university thought I was completely out of my mind, which I think I was. It was during the economic downturn in 2008. I mean, there was nothing about this that made any sense, but I've been doing it now for 13 years and it is really a wonderful thing to get to go in and talk to people and use story as a how to do whatever the thing is that they need to do in their businesses. Awesome. And I love the fact that you mentioned that you did take a drastic professional turn and a life turn during a hard moment too, because it's 2020, you know, with the pandemic and with everything going on sometimes, I feel like we need to look at, look at things from a different perspective, like, hey, take that step. It's okay. You know, if it's something that you really enjoy. Transition's hard anyway, you might as well do it now. Absolutely. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about a storytelling though, and the layout of it. So we'll start from the basics. Is it like an intro development, the end? I mean, we all have read books, but if we're thinking the behind the analytics of it, what, like if you can tell, describe the graph or a good storytelling, like the peak of it and then the low, can you, can you tell us a little bit? Sure. Sure. So there's some really academic things to, to Google if you want to Google and I can give them to you to put in the notes afterwards so people don't have to deal with it right Perfect. now. Perfect. But there's, there's a whole bunch of different ways of looking at stories and all of them involve trouble and mm -hmm. crisis and building tension because this does a couple of things in our brains and in our bodies that's very important to storytelling. So you're always going to start out in the now or the real world and then some some incident's going to happen that takes you it takes you in a different direction and tension's going to build as you you or the hero of the story makes mistakes and learns things, does things well and does things poorly and the tension builds and builds and builds until you have that climactic scene where the very the big thing happens and then the, the tension eases and you're able to integrate what you learned from the story. And that's called Freytag's arc. And, and it's been around really since Aristotle, but Gustav Freytag, who's a German theory person from the 19th century, drew that out. Other folks have, have used the same thing, but going down instead of up. So Kurt Vonnegut, who's one of my favorite writers, shows what he calls them the person in the hole. Things start out fine and then they go down into some sort of crisis at the bottom and then you climb your way back up. So that's another way of looking at it. But that's hard to do. Like that's great when you're reading a book or watching a movie. It's pretty easy to see it there, but we're not those people, right? We're not movie stars and we're not, you know, Hollywood film. I mean, if Hollywood producers watching this great, but most of the people probably aren't going to be that. So when we use it in our everyday life, I don't look so much at that. Mm -hmm. I look at what are the questions you can ask somebody or ask yourself to get a, to get that story that we know works with your physiology? What can you ask to get that story to happen? Because what you want to do is build, you want to create attachment to the main character because that is em empathy and compassion and it brings up all these positive hormones in your body, oxytocin and all this lovely stuff that makes you like people and act in really good ways. And then the, the, tr the drama makes you focus and, and pay attention. And in this world where it's really hard to get people's attention, this is something to know. Like if you're working in social media or you're trying to get clients' attentions, it's that focus of the trouble that causes people to go like, whoop, and pay complete attention to you because now you're learning something that your body's telling you might help you when you're in trouble. So that arc that you talked about is there and you'll notice it. But when I talk about story, I tell people, okay, ask people the following questions. Number one, what's going on? Mm -hmm. 
So that'll, that'll get you in the normal world and sort of you're in, you know, you're in your office and you're doing this podcast interview and suddenly, right, what happened, right? What, what's the thing that, that is that inciting incident? And then what did I do about it? So what happened is that moment where the trouble, the trouble occurs and what did you do about it? helps the storyteller to give have some agency right they're telling you oh yeah no I actually there was trouble but I learned something or I did something or I was able to overcome it and then what happened after that right like what what happened at the end and that's that part where you come down so if you can ask people questions in that order you'll get them to be fabulous storytellers. And so this is this is wonderful in an interview situation. It's really, really good when you're talking to clients. You can ask yourself those questions if you're trying to, to use a story in something. But that's that's what I call the story equation. I love it. And that kind of gets along really great into sales professional, because again, sales nerd here. That is very important towards like those questions build the peak, you know, build the momentum, build the impulse, and then drop the clothes. Like, that's how I'm kind of comparing it on my head. Let's talk a little bit because a while back, about a month ago, I shared an article, for example, of, you know, how I overcame anxiety and the anxiety emergency kit. And at first, a lot of people uh, were like, I would start getting messages saying like, hey, this is really awesome. It's very great of you to share this, it's very helpful for me, but nobody would comment directly. It would just be un- like under direct messages. So how important is to be vulnerable to also share a great story to help others? Because sometimes we don't build that vulnerability from today to tomorrow. Like it takes a while to build those emotions, but how important is it to be truly vulnerable to share an amazing story too? It's really important and it's really brave. And one of the things that I say over and over in my book is that as storytellers, you're saving lives. And what you did in that instance where you shared something so vulnerable about anxiety, somebody out there's life was changed and saved by you doing that. And you're not always going to know that based on like the likes or the comments, because the person who had that enormous change probably then also feels really vulnerable and isn't going to tell you. But the the science behind story really backs up that... If you're vulnerable, you have a greater impact on people. And especially what you just described, which the literature calls pro-social behavior, meaning you want people to do good things, right? You're actually a force for good in the world. There's a lot out there about how to use story to like gain people's attention to do not so good things. We're not going to talk about that stuff today, right? But a good power here. Yeah, exactly. This is a superpower and it's a good one. So if you are vulnerable, people will build empathy for you. And that empathy releases certain hormones in their system that research has shown actually helps people behave well and do pro-social good things. So give money, volunteer, take action, help somebody. Those behaviors come from vulnerability and also from seeing the person that they've learned to care about through this story in a little bit of jeopardy or danger, right? So ensuring that you have some anxiety, people were able to say, oh, wow, like that's going on under the surface. And they also get a sense that you, you're struggling and that's good, right? I mean, actually both of those things in terms of building rapport and building connection are really good. So I wouldn't suggest, you know, going into a you know, new client sales meeting and, and, you know, telling people, you know, some horrible story about breaking your leg, which, you know, would be fine if it happened on the way there. But I take the risk is what I would say, because you actually have no idea what the impact is on the people on the other end. And people can sense in their bodies what's real, what's authentic, and what's vulnerable, and it gets more attention. 
So here's also my question because you can share a story, but you can be like, just, hey, this is what happened to me. But also you can be, this is what happened. This is what I learned from it and just leave it at exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. That's like- what I call the exit ramp. It's the exit ramp from the story. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in storytelling. One of them is that people, everything's sort of blah, like it's all happening on exactly the same level and there's no excitement or drama because people are scared of showing that. So that that's one set of problems. But the other set of problems is that you never actually show how what you did changed you, what you learned from it and what how it made you and the world different. And that's the exit ramp. That gets you out of a difficult story and into a whole other world. And people learn from that. Like we've known for 2000 years that when you show somebody else the exit ramp, they don't have to go through what you went through to own that information. Okay, let me ask you this though. Let's say journaling, it's one of the best things that people can do for self-development and actually to kind of practice, you know, writing down their thoughts and everything. What's the actual science behind journaling and because you're still storytelling what happened through your day or what, what you're feeling. What's the actual science behind it and processing your emotions after like a life trauma or after like a big event? Like what's the actual scientific correlation in there? So there's two different things. There was a study done, I think about 15 years ago on people who were doing job retraining and had lost a job and were looking for new jobs. And there was a control group that they just gave the job retraining to and helped them go off and, you know, write resumes and stuff. And then there was the group where they taught to do a very simple journaling practice where all you did for five minutes a day was just write what is on your mind. And I actually read this study and began doing this about the time the study came out. And I've been a lifelong journaler, but I decided like I could, I just said three pages, like in the morning, three pages, whatever's on my mind. And it doesn't have to be good. It can Mm -hmm. be the worst garbage in the world. And what that study said was that by doing that, you cleared out, their theory was you cleared out a lot of the things that were going on psychologically that might get in the way of you finding a new job. And they found that the people that did the journaling were like statistically significantly faster at finding jobs because they've cleared stuff out and they'd just gotten it down on paper and they weren't walking around carrying it around and acting it out in all kinds of ways unconsciously. And so it wasn't the same as therapy, but it was a very good way of like clearing your mind and then being able to focus on task. So that's one thing. And the other thing is that, you know, all of those things that happen, especially difficult stuff, especially right now in the middle of COVID, right? These things happen to us and we can think about them in our brain. We're really taking them in, in our bodies. And storytelling is really a body activity. It's not a brain activity. Like you have to put together a good story with your brain to make somebody else feel it in their body. But by, by working through that stuff in your body, you get it out of your system. And so there's also research by a guy by the name of Dr. Daniel Siegel, who talked about parents being good parents and creating attachment with their kids. And he discovered that you didn't have to never have had a trauma in your life to be a good Mm -hmm. parent. What you had to do was to have been able to retell yourself the story of that trauma in a way where you learned something and it made you a better parent. And that those parents were actually often better than parents who had never really had bad events. And I think journaling falls into that category of putting things into perspective and retelling things to yourself. So we're going back to the accent what did you call it? Ex- exit ramp. You're like on the highway, there's an exit ramp. Like you either keep going on the highway or you can like take ramp 127. <laughs> okay. So we're kind of, I, I kind of want to separate this interview into our professional, because again, the podcast is about personal and business. 
development because we're one person at the end of the day. So storytelling can help us be maybe more vulnerable, help somebody else process our emotions and the exact science and the study behind it, why journaling and actually writing down your story helps. But let's talk business for a second. How important is for business to get their storytelling, even as basic as their history timeframe, timeline on their website, right on the dot? Why is that important to increase avenue, increase sales? Because at the end of the day, that's why a business is functioning. So it's really important both inside your business, internally to, to, the, to the folks with whom you work, and outside your business as sales and marketing. So both kinds of storytelling are really important. And I think the external sales and marketing comes from the internal ability to talk about your story and who you are as a business. And, you know, there's been a lot of people who write about what's your why. And, you know, there are a lot of books out there about that. Your big why. Yeah. Right. Like Simon Sinek, all those people. But at the, the bottom of it, if you have a storytelling practice inside your business, what you're doing really is creating psychological safety. So you're allowing people to feel like they can really be themselves at work. And that means they're more creative, more innovative. And there's all this research about this that came to the like forefront of people's thinking when Google did this rework project where they talked about what makes healthy teams. And they said, number one is psychological safety because the outcomes are the things we want right now, innovation in thought and in product, diversity of your team because you, you have respect. And then also that individuals are able to be themselves on the job. When those are the people writing your website and doing your marketing and doing your social media, and they feel that way about being at work, it will 100% show. And then when you're starting to do stuff on your website or in social media, or however you're, you're doing that outreach, those stories are really important because it proves that you know who's listening. Because you tell stories differently depending on who's on the other end, right? I mean, I would tell a five-year-old a story very differently than I would tell you. Because with you, I would feel comfortable swearing and talking about all kinds of things I wouldn't necessarily talk about with a five-year-old, right? But you want to know, you want the person on the other end, your potential client, customer, you know, business partner, if it's a business-to-business sales thing. You want those people to feel like you know them. And so you're going to tell the stories they need to hear. And you might even tell stories in which they're the hero. Because then they know you really know what's their trouble. Because that that sense of stories needing trouble, right? Your clients have a problem which you are about to solve when they decide to work with you or buy your product or you know are your customer. And so if you know their trouble and you can tell their story, they're going to feel so much more drawn to what you're doing. Let me ask you this. How much storytelling during a meeting, it's too much? Do we need to study body language? Do, is there a science that we need to get to where it's like, oh, I'm talking too much, maybe kind of reverse the tables a little bit, you know, how much is too much? You just asked the right question, which is how can you pay attention to other people in the room to know it's too much, right? And it is body language and it is, it's how you feel in your body because you know when you've gone over the top. I mean, we all know that feeling when you go, oh gosh, I should have stopped like three minutes ago, <laughs> right? So you know that, but, but you can also tell that they know that. And the rule, the rule that I have is there's a really big point you need to get across in a meeting. You need data, information, concrete facts, and then you need a story about that that's going to help people make sense of those facts because we actually don't make decisions entirely based on data. We make decisions that are affective, that are emotional and based on how we feel. And so if, if when you have a point to get across, and you want, especially if you want an action taken, you share a story, you know you're, you're pretty much in the safe zone. 
you know, you can invite other people to tell stories too. One of the people I interviewed in my book is the head of a really large environmental organization. And he said he never starts talking in a room without hearing people's stories first, because he wants them to know he has skin in the game and he wants to hear them. And so that's a really good trick for meetings is to have other people tell stories and you practice really good listening. So they see what it looks like. And the research says that people will rate an interaction higher if they got to talk more. So if you can actually get them to tell you stories, they're going to walk away happier with you, happier with the interaction. And having had the same experience they would have had if you told them a story, but they got to do it. I mean, that's, that's true because great icebreaker, especially if you're meeting new crowd. Number two, they talk about themselves, which people love talking about themselves. Number three, it's a rapport. You're building rapport. I'm just thinking of sales side. <laughs> like those are tactics that salespeople use too. <laughs> well, right. And storytelling is not a thing. Like it's a how to do the thing you already know how to do well, better. Yeah. So if you know sales and your brain is going bing, 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 right? Because you're like, oh, this fits in with exactly what I know because our brains are built on this. Yeah. If so you if can you, kind of see yeah. like all the stuff on like sales techniques, this, 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 like that's where my brain goes to. Yeah. Exactly. And this is the why, the why that stuff works, because it, it actually works on inside of us in the same way that storytelling works inside of us. How about, you did mention at the beginning, wherever you made the life, you know, life-changing decision, wherever you left your, the university and actually launched on your own. How can a storytelling or what factors should you, like, should you say, or what is a big no-no for a company that maybe had a bad PR moment? And how they can rebuild that up just by sharing the the right story. I'm not saying hiding the story, but sharing the story. Let me rephrase. Sharing the story the right way. Right. No, I knew what you meant. The same things that come with interpersonal storytelling also work for businesses. What we're seeing, and it's showing up in a lot of interesting ways with oil companies right now and with a lot of energy companies where they're realizing that people really do need to take climate change seriously. And they're beginning to take action to do things differently and to talk pretty openly about here, here's what we used to do here's what we learned and here's what we do now, right? Which is the exact same story arc. What was going on, you know, and then what happened and what did you do about it? And that's your story. And, and they're doing the same thing. Like we used to know this and do this, but now we learn this thing and we can do it better. And I think that's a really important thing to take to heart that companies and people in, in kind of the culture that we have right now where it's like, nope, they're out, canceled, don't want anything to do with them because they made one mistake that we can build a much more resilient culture if actually you say, yes, in fact, that is no longer the way to do things or that that was a mistake or that came from a limited amount of knowledge. And especially if you can provide people with the like nugget, the, the exit ramp, here's what, I, here's what we learned and here's what we're going to do about it. And I think that combination of things is really crucial for businesses. So that client that helped me turn things around and do something completely different with my life was able to say, yeah, yeah, we were responsible for some stuff that, that is, that we, at the beginning, that we made a series of decisions, none of which seemed that bad in the moment, but the sum total of all those decisions was awful. And what I learned is that they were real people suffering yeah, because they felt really bad about what had happened. And they were able to 
see what their customers really needed and to provide that and to become really good advocates for other companies making that change. They began to like speak at, you know, have the COO used to go to other companies and speak about what had happened and sort of what they'd done about it in their transition to help other companies. And I think in the end, they didn't really lose a lot of market share because of it. And that's because they told the story well, and they told the truth, yeah. which is kind of important, right? Yeah, I always Ownership, yeah. that helps you a lot of times because like, this is what I learned. I'm sorry, but taking ownership and saying sorry sometimes is like an ad. And it, meaning it, yeah. right? Like if your behavior shows you're doing something different, right? If you take ownership, you actually do something different and you give people that exit ramp where they can learn from it, you're doing great. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your PhD because you did get a PhD on theology. First off, can you explain to the audience what is theology? Ah, no, I cannot explain to the audience what is theology because I don't think anybody knows. So the, the word means God talk, basically, or study of God. And I think of theology as the, the place where all storytelling started, right? We all come from or have found or have learned about wisdom and faith traditions that are based entirely on storytelling. And those, those traditions have used story in some really brilliant ways to help people in situations very much like COVID 2020, right? Where people are in a collective situation that's difficult and they have to get through to the other side and they have to learn to do the right thing. And they have to like do certain things, think certain things, treat each other certain ways. And theology to me is really how, how we interact with each other based on our faith or wisdom tradition to help really create that behavior that's going to help people survive something difficult or make a change or do something new. And so for me, that that's what the study of theology did for me. I'm a very like religious person anyway, right? So there was an aspect of that in it. But, but when people, when you talk about theology sort of across traditions, you really do see that it taught us how to do change. Taught us how to change as individuals. It taught us how to change our behavior. Taught us how to take care of each other. You know, and, and and religion at its best really is that. How do you behave well? Take good care of each other and show up as a good representative for God or for your tradition or for your people or whatever it is that you're showing up for. How has the study of theology has changed you as an individual? Like getting the PhD on it. Well, there's like a good and a bad side to getting a PhD. <laughs> the bad side is like enough of anything makes you want to go do something else for a while, you know? So I definitely am reading a lot of science fiction right now instead of worrying about, you know, reading you know, theology. But I would also say, I just had a conversation with another writer friend of mine and he, we were like, wait a second, science fiction is theology because it's drawing a future you can live into. And so really good science fiction, there's all this like great sort of hope punk and, and like the science fiction that's being written right now that's actually helping us see a future we could live into. So I think that is theology. I also have to say that as a woman in the, in a, in the corporate world, it's kind of nice to have a title. And there's been a big, big thing going on over the Battle Wall Street Journal article about Dr. Jill Biden, written by a guy who does not have an advanced degree, who's talking about how she shouldn't use the doctor. And I just want to say like a shout out to every woman, person of color, queer person who made it through this really rigorous traditional system to like get a degree on the other end and that those titles matter and that people really should use them. So I also feel like it lends some credence to what I'm saying, even though any good reader of science fiction would agree with me. Somehow when, you know, Dr. Auerbach says it, it sounds really good. And when random science fiction fan says it, it sounds a little 
less serious, even though it's absolutely not. Since we're talking about the books and everything, your recent book, The Life-Saving Skill of Story, a part of the Resilient Series, tell us a little bit about it. So since I wrote my dissertation, I've been wanting to write a book, and this was not the book I wanted to write. <laughs> I had this big book on story and, and somatics and like this stuff and in my brain, and, I, and that's not what happened. So Tim Ward, who's the editor of the series, I spoke to him when he was just putting the series together, and he said, well, it would be really nice to have a book in there on story. You know, you want to send me a proposal for that? And I said, sure, I'll do that. And he said, okay, the book's due in a month. I was like, the book's due in a month or the proposal's due in a month? He said, no, no, the book's due in a month. So I sent him the proposal. They accepted it. And I had about three weeks to write the book. And it was really great. I took it back to really, what do people need to know right now in this 2020 world about storytelling that's going to help them make their world and the world of the people around them better? And so it's very how-to. Every chapter has at least four or five, sometimes seven how-tos in there. Everything I talk about, I talk about how to apply right away in your life, in your work, in your family, in your relationships, in your, you know, with yourself. I think it's a much better book than the one I would have written because I think the one I would have written would have been a little theoretical and kind of, you know, have a lot of footnotes and that might have not been so exciting. Yeah, this, it was a great idea and, and it was a great, wonderful thing for Tim to change how the publishing industry works because, you know, the normal thing is you, you, you get a book contract and 18 months later, you turn in the book and 18 months after that, the book comes out and Tim upended the publishing industry, which in and of itself is a really cool story because he wanted stuff to be out there right away that could help people. Current event, something that is current, what yeah. can help and just launch it. That is, that's what Tim does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was pretty amazing. And I have to say he's now done three series uh, during COVID and all of them have been books that are going to change, help change the world and help us come out of this different than we went in, went in. And I'm in awe of him and of John Hunt Publishing for doing this. That is very true. I had a pleasure to work with them and, you know, meet most of the authors for the series. And it's amazing what Tim does. And he works really hard. He's been on the podcast. You guys, if you want to listen to this episode, go ahead and do so. But Tim Work, if you're listening, hi, and keep up the great work. <laughs> well, I feel like we covered a lot of great information here, but I do have a question. What is, before we jump to the final questions, as we all know, it's always the same. Who would be your ideal client right now? If somebody's listening to this and say, you know what, I'm learning a lot from this episode and I would love to, to work with her, who would be your ideal client for you to help? Wow, that's a great question. So I'm going to leave industry and what you do aside for a minute and talk about the person and then I'll come back. So some, somebody who wants to use these storytelling skills in an interesting way. And that could be to do business strategy. It could be to help teams get stronger. It could be to do sales and marketing. It could be to do, I've done work with disaster preparedness, right? You can, but somebody who wants to take these storytelling skills and apply them to the work they do in an interesting way. So that would, and, and who's got the guts to do that? Because oftentimes people say storytelling, you know, let, let's do something that's like, you know, not soft skills. And I always have to laugh, you know, cause it's like, well, your soft business is run on soft skills. Important. Yeah. So, but then I've been working a lot recently, entrepreneurs who are starting up companies and want to create a good culture in their company. And so that internal work that then when you turn it out for your sales and marketing, people can sort of feel how authentic it is. So I've been doing some work with startups on, and I use a lot of science fiction storytelling and world building to help companies do strategy and build culture 
and solve HR problems and work on diversity because I feel like we all function best when we can create this beautiful metaphor together and then figure out how it applies to our work. And that that ability to take things one step outside of your work makes people more creative and also more able to innovate and be authentic and do all those things we were talking about. And then, you know, then I have all these tricks for then you bring it back to the business and see where you, you know, see how that applies to every single thing you do. So culture building and strategy building are really stuff I'm into right now. And where can people connect with you? So my my website for my writing, because I'm also an author, I've written two, no, two other novels, um, The Third Kind of Horse and Alice Modern, third novel that's about to come out. So is michelleauerbach.com. That's easy except the spelling part. <laughs> so you'll take care of that. It's michelleauerbach.com. And then my business work is, is Modica Communications, M-O-D-A-K-A communications.com. And Modica is from a story from, from one of the traditions I studied in graduate school. And it's a, it's a sweet, it's a kind of Indian dessert that Ganesha, who's one of the Indian deities, really loves. And the Modica is the sweet spot of storytelling. So modicacommunications.com. And if you go to michellehourbach.com, you can sign up for my newsletter and it comes once a week. And it's always a conversation I've had with somebody fabulous, a recipe. And this is the stories that I'm listening to right now. So I don't ever sell anybody anything. And I just help people practice their storytelling skills and also eat because those are two things I love. <laughs> and I'll go ahead and attach the information on the show notes, you guys. So if you're lazy, don't feel like typing all that up. It's a click away. Did, did you click it yet? No. Okay. Well, listeners, it's on the show notes. So you'll be directed to her websites right away. Oh my goodness. What's a new and exciting project that you're working on that you'd like to share with us? I know you kind of dropped a nugget in there that you're working on a third book too. Oh yeah, no, I, the book is done. I'm working on two projects. Book-wise, I really am writing, a, I'm starting another book about storytelling as a, as a body practice, as a somatic practice and how we can use that for personal development and business development. So that'll be kind of exciting. And then work-wise, I've been doing some really fun work with culture building with startups and like, what do we want our business to be like as we're building it from the ground up? And that for me feels like the best play ever. Nice. Oh my goodness. I feel like I've learned a lot throughout this interview and I hope the audience has done so too. We try to break it again, personal, like professional development and business. And we touch both of those topics, you guys. Go ahead and make sure you connect with Michelle. I'll put the LinkedIn a link in there too, so you guys can absolutely do so. Now we are at the final question, which I have to say, it's always my favorite question because I'm always intrigued what, what my guests would say. What is your personal definition of success? My personal definition of success is finding the thing you love the most in the world and finding the place that overlaps with what the world needs and being able to do that. So it comes from a, it comes from a theology quote from a, an amazing theologian who says that your greatest gift to the world is finding what, what your passion is and what the world needs and living from there. So I think that's my definition of success. I love it. Thank you. Any last thing you'd like to say to our audience, to our listeners before we, we do end the interview? I end my book by saying, be brave storytellers, you're saving lives. And please believe that, that in the stories that you tell and the, the ways that you talk to each other, you really are actually building a world in which people are happier and safer and better off. So go do it. Even though they don't like your, your social media posts right away or anything, you guys, just believe somebody out there is reading it and is impacting it. Just, just have faith because... At least I have to say personally, it took me a year after constant podcasting and episodes for somebody to say, hey, your first, like one of your first episodes changed me like this. So don't stop 
telling your story and don't stop sharing your inner thoughts and sharing, you know, your storyline. Thank you so much, Michelle Bell. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Absolutely. And for you, my dear listeners, make sure to tune in every Tuesday to listen to amazing episodes just like this one. Till next week, we'll see you later. This podcast is a 6-7 Radius production. To learn more about 6-7 Radius, our services, and how we can help you strategize your marketing and increase your sales, click the service tab on connectwithromina.com.